Again, James chapter 2, page 1604. That's in my Bible, probably not in anyone else's. Uh, Again, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not, do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. May God bless his word. Let's bow together in prayer. I want to uh, mention a couple things uh, that were brought up earlier uh, that we want to be praying for Peg Willie. She had another fall. Like Charlie thinks like the 6-1 this past week. She was in the hospital. Uh, Thankfully, she is okay, but um, there's some real needs there, and we're grateful she's okay, but please pray for Peg. Uh, We've been praying for Amelia, who uh, had two doctor's appointments this past week, and uh, she was praising the Lord for the results. And you know when you you hear with the oncologist, instead of seeing you now every three months, we only need to see every six months. That's what they told her. So that's a big, big blessing. And uh, if you were with us on our prayer meeting on our Zoom, we had a, a friend of Thea's named Priscilla that joined us and asked us to pray. She has a brain cancer um, we actually had time to pray for her then. Uh, also ask you to be praying for uh, with Priscilla Tony, who is a neighbor of ours, a very precious man, also struggling uh, with that issue. And then Jean, Marie, Joanne, um, and so many others. But those are just some names that we want you to keep praying for. And praise the Lord, Don Watkins is here today. We've been praying for him. Don, good to see you. We're so glad we're praying for you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And Lord, just to see Don here is such a blessing. Uh, Lord, we just continue to pray for him, that you'd strengthen him and help him in his recovery. Uh, Lord, we just ask you to bless him and meet his needs. And um, may he just find out more and more about you and realize how good you are. And just again, that he would see your hand in every area. Father, I thank you for the good news with Amelia. We praise you for that. And uh, we rejoice and ask you to just continue to heal her. We pray for Peg Willie, Father, that you would encourage her heart. Thank you that that she was not seriously injured. And uh, Lord, just as they they look to perhaps get her into a place where there would be some more care, that you would just take take care of that and oversee that. Pray for Priscilla and Tony, that you would touch their bodies, Father, and heal them and... uh, Lord, use, we know you work all things together for good to them that love you, and you, you work all things together, period, to, to everyone. 
and that you are seeking to draw men and women to yourself. And we pray with this, pray for Jean, pray for Marie, pray for Joanne. All these situations we lift up to you, Father. We know that you're involved. We ask you to just please work in the hearts and work in the the lives, and especially with the health of these folks, and that in each one, these folks would learn more and more of your goodness and who you are, that they would see your mighty power to help them either, either overcome or to um, endure the things that you've allowed. And we just commit them to you. And Lord, we ask your blessing now on the word. Help us to honor you in even the way we receive the scriptures. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, if you want to right now, folks, you can take your cell phones and uh, turn Do Not Disturb. And I will do the same if I had my phone, but actually I was just taking out the microphone thing just to make it look like I had a phone. But Turn to James chapter 2, please. This is a text that I've been thinking of and going. the Lord's been bringing me back to time and time again. James chapter 2, the first few opening verses. And uh, over the years as I pastored, I've seen the need uh, for this challenge. So we're going to address it today. It really has to do with uh, your attitude and my attitude. It presents a scenario. First, it gives the instruction in James chapter 2 and verse 1. And then it gives the, uh, an example. And then in verse 4, it, it gives the rebuke or what's wrong with it. So, uh, in fact, let me just give the outline. Verse 2 uh, or excuse me, verse 1, it, it shares our conduct. It's the topic. It's weird, because it's an old English phrase, uh, if you have your King James Bibles, it might not make any sense to you. And we're going to explain what exactly James is talking about. That it, He brings up the topic. And then at the end of verse 1, he shares the, um, the, the problem, the conceit. So we have the the conduct is what we're talking about. Then we have the conceit. And then in verse 4, we have the criticism. And that's where we see where, you know, this is what's wrong with what, with what we can do, what we sometimes do. All of this, just to kind of summarize it, let you know where we're heading, it really has to do with our attitude. Uh, the example that is given is, is people that come into your assembly. So people that would come into your church. And how do we treat them? Uh, and um, particularly, uh, and I've seen this, this still happens to this day, it happens in our church, uh, where we may not realize it, uh, but we may not have the right attitude when it comes to people that visit. But this is not just, and, and that's the example verses 2 and 3 that James gives, but this is not just addressing, like this is not one scenario where it's okay, Okay, this only applies when you're in church. And when a visitor comes into your church and you respond this way, this is what this is talking about. This is talking about a bigger thing and really our attitude toward outsiders, our attitude towards uh, you know, the world, people that need the Lord, people that you run into and you meet all the time. And so the title of the message, and this is what kind of narrows it down, is what... James is condemning. 
And one of the words that I found associated with this that really seems to, I'll, I'll go back to this. I've had five different titles to this message as I've been working through this. And I finally called it down to one word, snobbery, <laughs> snobbery. Uh, and so we're going to jump in here. And in fact, let's just, let's just go right to verse one. Uh, again, the conduct, the con- our conceit, and the criticism. So first we find in verse one, my brethren... So he's talking to believers here. He's talking to us. And then here's this phrase, which, keep in mind, the King James Version is, is probably one of the most literal translations in the English that there is. And anytime you have a translation, it is, you know, when you go from one language to another, uh, some of you, any, any of you that are multilingual, you know uh, that there's not... You know, a, a match for match on everything. When you when you're talking about one language to another, uh, it, it's hard. And so the King, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, and when the King James translators were writing, they really sought to be as literal as possible. But you can't you can't be if you're like perfectly literal, because the Greek construction is so different than the English, it would make no sense at all. Like the word order and all that. And so the translators did a really good job of communicating, but they, um, you know, sometimes they put words in italics. And when you see a word in italic, it's just saying this is not an actual word that's in the original language, but we, in order to transit and bring it over to the English and make sense of what they're saying, we have to add this so you understand. And this, and so we have that, and then we also have the fact that this, the King James was written 400 years ago, so sometimes the word, the phrasing, sometimes the words themselves change. And so, what does he mean? This is, think of it, if you've read James chapter 2 and verse 1, my brethren, this phrase, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? I'm not supposed to have the faith? That Jesus Christ has? Is that what it's saying? No, it's not. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's, that shares with us the topic, what he's talking about. And, and the bottom line, in fact, let's just jump into this because the actual thing he's telling us not to do is that last statement, that last phrase. With respect of persons. So when we do this, when we have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons, that's when we're doing very wrong. But So what does this mean? Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word have is actually, um, it's a word that meant something different in 1611 or takes on a different meaning. Literally look at that word as, as hold. And now, of course, you know in English, having to hold, very similar. But here, the, the idea of the Greek is, Hold not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's talking about how we live our Christian lives. How we conduct ourselves. How our faith affects us when it comes to other people. That's, that's the idea of what he's saying here. So when he says, um, Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's saying, you know, don't hold your faith. Don't practice your Christianity this way. So that's the topic there. Understand that. And so he's talking about our behavior. 
It's talking about our attitude, our conduct. And the Bible is very big. The New Testament is very... Uh, it stresses how important our conduct of living is, which includes so much more. In fact, the term that the, our Bible uses is the term conversation. And when, when this was translated, the word conversation had a broader meaning than it does now. It includes what we know conversation, right, our talk. But conversation, you may have heard, is our manner of life. Listen to some of these New Testament verses that challenge us, that challenge you and I, about the way we conduct ourselves. Philippians 1.27. Paul said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. In other words, we need to, we need to live our lives in a way so that I, somebody worded it once this way, and I, I like this wording. We need to be a good advertisement for the Christian faith. That's, you know, our, our behavior. Uh, as soon as you identify with Jesus Christ, you are a marked man or woman and people, especially outsiders, are going to be looking at you. They call themselves Christians. And you're going to automatically have a high degree of scrutiny. And Paul is saying, so let your conversation, let your lifestyle, your manner of living, be that which is becoming of the gospel. In other words, it complements it. It's consistent with the gospel. In fact, listen to this one. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says, Let no man despise thy youth. He's talking to Timothy, young man. And this really focuses, he says, But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. Wait a minute. See, that shows you how that English word has changed. Because to us, it's like he's saying, In word, and then in what you say. But he's not just saying that. He's saying, Again, be an example of believers in what you say, in your manner of life, the whole way you live your life, in love or charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So in other words, again, you and I have to be an example uh, as a good Christian. And what James is going to talk about is something that can ruin our testimony just like that. People that maybe would have considered Christianity, if they get this sense, this attitude that James is talking about in you, or they get wind of you being what we read here, respecter of persons, you are not living your life and you're not demonstrating the attitude that really would bring glory and honor to Christ. I hope that matters to you. I hope you're concerned about your attitude. And you may not even think about it. But we affect people big time by not just our words, but the spirit that comes across when we say things. So, in fact, um, I, I listen to a couple preachers, online preachers. That can be dangerous, but it can also, you know, there's so many... Wait, there's so many tools today. It's amazing. Um, and listening to one, one preacher that um, poisoned uh, my influence in, in other people's lives. Uh, and, and so once in a while, I'll come back and listen to this guy. He's, he's one of these TV preachers. And I, I marvel at how many radio pastors, not radio, 
uh, YouTube pastors there are. There's a lot of YouTube pastors. In fact, I guess we are going to be on, this message is going to be on YouTube, so I am now a YouTube pastor. And man, we get like three, three views every week. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Anyway, uh, so I'm listening to this guy, and this is a guy that has the spirit that I just, I would think that Christians that have been under my influence would, would hear this and see this and say, this guy's crazy. You know, so many times I've gone to James chapter 3, where James, the next chapter, and James would say, okay, listen, there's the spirit of the world, and there's the spirit that comes from God. The spirit of the world is like this, and it's contention and strife and, and wrath. And then there's the Spirit of God, which is godliness and edification and peace. And it's so clear. But for some reason, there are online preachers that just seem to draw people because of their attitude, their coarseness. And so this guy, he, he puts out a daily video. It's one of those short videos. And he called it his oracle of the day. Now, I've been hearing this word oracle not hearing. I've been reading this word oracle all the time in the last few months as I've been studying Jeremiah. Jeremiah, in fact, the one commentator that I've been really blessed from keeps using this, that Jeremiah got oracles from God. And he did. This guy, I mean, if I came to you and said, I have an oracle for you today. It's like, what? God's speaking to me personally. and I, I Put me above all the other preachers because I'm getting oracles from God. And, and that's the way this guy comes across. And he was talking this past week about a funeral of a world figure, a religious figure, and he was just commenting on this funeral of this, this world religious leader that died. And it was a religious leader, but not the religion we are. But this man had, it, it was so clear, he has nothing but contempt for this religious leader and everyone that's part of this religion. I mean, he just, every ounce out of him oozed animosity and malice. And just this, this man, it was like, these people make me sick. And he might have even said that. And I remember thinking, what kind of an attitude is that? And I think back to this text that James is very concerned with our attitude on how we treat outsiders. There's another video. In fact, this led me. You know, you, gotta, you know how they have clickbait? You know what that is, right? More and more, be aware of this. There'll be a headline of some video that sounds really good and then you start it and it has nothing to do with that. It's just they got you. They want you to. So that led me to a couple other Baptist preachers. And this is what... It's so disheartening to me with some of these guys. And, and a couple of, the one I just mentioned, a couple others, I wish they were not Baptist preachers. I wish they did not call themselves Baptists. And so there's this other guy. I'll tell you who he is. It's Steve Anderson. Uh, if you see his stuff, he's got a big following. He's a, a pastor of a church. And the man, just like this other one I mentioned, this man oozes contempt for other people. Now, there might be some doctrinal areas that we agree with. In fact, the gospel, we would embrace the same gospel. But this guy I saw a video clip. He's from the pulpit. And he's, I was going to show it to you. I was going to download a couple. I did download a couple of these videos, but some of them are just so, they would not be edifying. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe, and also some of you might be like, hey, I like this guy. 
you know. But um, he, he was from his pulpit. He's saying, he's saying um, I wish I had a, a button right here. And he's talking about homosexuality, which we know the Bible says is wrong. But he said, I wish I had a button right here. And every time I pushed the button, another homosexual died. And I'd push it. And I'd push it. And I'd push it. And, of course, that, that got the reaction, you know. And then he, resp- he wrote an article. He said, I don't condone violence, but homosexuals should be executed. What? And I'm thinking, okay. In fact, it's so repugnant that that is not the attitude that a born-again believer, let alone a preacher, should have toward anyone that needs Christ. Shame on him. And shame on us. When we condemn, and when we come across with this holier-than-thou, you, you are despicable to anyone. We need to be loving people to the gospel. I was, you know, by the way, let me just say this right now. And I brought this up Wednesday. We were talking about um, the depravity of man. And I remember when I was learning about it, and this is something that's come to my mind. Because there's a false teaching out there that comes from Eastern mysticism and really goes back to Gnosticism that says that all men have a spark of divinity. And when you understand what that's teaching, it's erroneous. All men have a sin nature. But before we throw all everything out of that, it is important that we realize that all men are created in the image of God. And two times in Genesis chapter 9 and then um, in James, talking about the tongue, God tells us, and he includes all mankind when he talks about protecting innocent life, in other words, capital punishment, Genesis 9. And then in James, when it talks about slandering other people, he's talking about the fact that he uses this idea that these people were made in the image of God. They may be lost, they may not be born again like us, but these are people that are created in the image of God. So we ought not to, you know, out of one mouth bless God and out of another mouth curse men, which are made after the similitude of God, James says. He says these things ought not to be. So we need to show a certain amount of respect and realize that just because all men are depraved does not mean that everyone is as bad as they can be. And I use the example, I was so touched by this, it'd probably be appropriate. Uh, I hope you were praying for DeMar Hamlin this past week. I was so touched. Uh, and I did not watch Monday Night Football, not that there's anything wrong with that. Eagles weren't playing, so. But anyway, um, you, if you saw that, I saw when we turned it on after... And we saw all these football players, these big macho men, and they were all kneeling on the ground. They had just been reminded of the mortality of man and how we could die so quickly when this man, DeMar Hamlin, just had a cardiac arrest and passed out and his heart stopped. It was scary. And it was so touching to see all these men. And I'm sure not every one of them were born-again believers but they were all bowing and humbling themselves and beseeching the God of heaven. That was so tender to me. Now, there's some people that don't have the ability to think well of anyone that's not right where they are. I use the example of September 11th. I have a vivid picture in my mind of men and women, of of emergency workers, of first responders going up flights of steps while everyone else was going down. 
And they did not know that they were, meant, they were walking, they were going to their death. Not all of them were born again. In other words, these were people that were willing to lay down their lives for people they didn't know, and they didn't even know where they were going to spend eternity. What did Jesus say? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. So just because all men are depraved, and some, their lifestyle may be more abhorrent, but folks, these are people we need to love. We need to love them to Christ. So, go back to James chapter 2. You're probably still there, aren't you? James chapter 2. So first we had uh, our conduct. In other words, that's what he's talking about in this. In this. Now we're going to see the problem. He says, My brethren, again, verse 1, Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. In other words, with uh, in other words, the idea has to do with you and I. In fact, uh, the Bible, the New Testament, Peter or Paul was preaching. And he said, we know that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, the idea of favoritism, the idea of showing preference for one person over another, uh, that idea. And that's what he's talking about. He is, he is condemning, uh, when he says, with respect of persons, He's talking about when we will show favoritism or show preference. And then he gives the example, real quickly, of, of you're at an assembly and someone walks in with beautiful clothing and they're obviously rich. And then someone comes in in rags and they're obviously poor. And you and I, immediately when we see these two people walk in, we gravitate towards the one that clearly this person is of importance. He's rich. And so we show Great honor to, oh, come sit up front. Oh, you get the place of honor. And the person that comes in in shabbily, you know, shabby clothes, oh, go find a seat yourself. You know, that's the idea. And that's what he's condemning. Again, we're not just talking about people that come into our assembly. We're talking about how we view other people. So we could be walking on the street and see someone that's obviously rich, maybe by the car they drive. Now, this person's coming in in a, in a Lexus, brand new Lexus with all the bells and whistles. And then somebody comes in a, a 1970s Volkswagen bug that's like on its last. And it's, you know, we're like, oh, that person, I don't want to associate that. That's the idea. I don't know if you realize it or not, but there is a tendency in every one of us, based on our own values and our own preferences, to do that with other people. So, okay, you are, I like you because you fit into this pattern, which I think is good. I, I think that's cool. I don't like you because these are things I don't like. And you and I, it is so easy to fall into that habit. And God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't want us to be. Every human being that we see should be to us a potential, someone that needs the Lord. In fact, when Jesus, in, in Mark 9, I believe it is, he saw the multitudes. The Bible says he was moved with compassion because he saw these people as sheep having no shepherd. Now some of these preachers I'm talking about and the danger of some people, is they would have looked at that same scene and they would have had contempt. Look at these, look at these mindless people that are walking around. They don't have any idea where they're going. And it's just, it's just sad. It is just sad. 
So what is he? In fact, it's interesting. One commentator brought this out. The word persons with respect of persons signifies the face or the countenance. And by consequence, all those parts of qualities, we take notice of the person. This goes back to what I was preaching in Jeremiah and then uh, in a morning message. I forget what it was, but the idea of the face. And, you know, God told Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces. Our countenance is just part of our response to people. When God told Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces, he wasn't saying, you know, all right, everyone that comes in has to put a bag over the head and then I'll be able to preach to you in a good way. No, he wasn't saying that. He was saying each person and their countenance and their responses form an opinion in our mind so that Jeremiah would know when he's preaching, he would know, okay, there's going to be some people that are really going to struggle with this part of the message. And his, the tendency of any preacher is to, to curb your message so you don't offend anyone. There's preachers that I think they just do that. But God, when God says, don't be afraid of their faces, he's saying, I have an oracle for you, God says. I have a message for you. And I want it to be communicated to these people, whether they receive it or not. And, and so here he's saying, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. In other words, it doesn't matter who someone is or what what status they are in life or what the color of their skin is or what their background is or what their beliefs are or what their lifestyle they choose. These are people that need the Lord. And you and I have to be able to not have a stumbling block if we're going to meet people. And I'm going to tell you, and the Lord has, over the last three decades, God has had to drill it in my mind that I cannot... I have had to, for the sake of just staying in the ministry, I've had to be less and less conscious of people's appearance. You know, and I don't mean that, you know, there's there's good-looking people and there's bad-looking people. I'm talking about um, just, you know, all the different things. Uh, like J- James talks about someone comes in and he's dressed in good clothing and all that. This, it goes so much further today. And I've realized that people are... People used to be, there used to be a different modem, mode of decorum, you know, that, that I mean, my, my, my mom, growing up, she'd be like, oh, you can't, you can't, like if I tried to go out in my pajamas in the morning, my mom would have said, you turn around and you go right back, and, and I'm not, well, now people are wearing pajamas in Walmart, you know, and, and by the way, this is not like, I don't have a hang up with this, like, how dare you wear pajamas, but it's, I've, I've had to learn that, you know what, I gotta, I can't, I can't be so preoccupied with externals. I mean, people are going to look way different than they used to look. They're going to dress different. They're going to have different things about them. And it's like, you know what, if we're going to minister to people and reach their hearts, we can't make a big deal about that anymore, you know. We've got to reach people's hearts. And, and I want to share this story that I have shared this many times. But it's reminding me, for example, when I grew up, this is not my illustration, but it kind of is the next one. When I was a kid, I played street hockey, and I loved Some of you know, I loved the Flyers. I played goalie for a while, and I was Bernie Perrant. I mean, I, I, I wore his mask, and every save that I made, um, I'd probably say, great save, Bernie, because I was Bernie, you know. And if, 
Now, if you've ever played sports as a kid, you probably did stuff like that. Maybe not Bernie, because some of you are so old, you're like, who is Bernie Perrant? And then Tala Allah sends me a picture one day. And he says, guess who I met today? And there's the picture of Tala Allah and this old guy in white hair that was my childhood hero. He, and, and I wrote back, I said, you stinker, this is not fair, <laughs> you know? And uh, he even, Bernie even let him hold his two Stanley Cup rings. And I remember in my mind, in the way I reacted, I'm like, this is not fair. Why does he, this guy doesn't even know who Bernie Perron is. And he gets to stand next to him. Life is not fair. And I kind of had to, like an hour later, I had to step back and say, okay, wait a minute. He's just a man, you know. He's just a guy that needs the Lord like we do. Uh, you know, you kind of have to keep yourself in check. Like, for example, if, if Bernie Perrant came in this, in this church and then someone else, less desirable or unknowable, came in, what would God want me to do? Not what I want to do. Bernie! You know? Now he'd want me to show love to both of them on the same level. And so here's this story. You've heard this before. But this really does illustrate it well. Uh, that's why I'm repeating it. His name is Bill. And this is just the, this is the hypothetical situation. His name was Bill. He has wild hair, wears a t-shirt with holes in it, and jeans and no shoes. This was literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He is kind of esoteric and very, very bright. He became a Christian while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a church, the members of which are very well-dressed and very conservative. They want to develop a ministry to the students, but are not sure how to go about it. One day, Bill decides to visit the church. He walks in wearing his jeans, t-shirt, wild hair, and no shoes. And, and now we can add a million different things to that today. And he starts down this center aisle looking for a place to sit. The church is completely packed and he can't find a seat. The members look a bit uncomfortable. But no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer to the pulpit. And when he realizes that there's no seats left, he just sits down on the carpet. By now, the members are really uptight. Tension fills the air. Then, from the back of the church, a deacon makes, slowly makes his way toward Bill. Now in his 80s, the deacon has silver gray hair, a three-piece suit, and a pocket watch. This shows you how dated this illustration is. Who has a pocket watch anymore? He's a godly man, very elegant, very dignified, very courtly. He walks with a cane, and as he heads towards Bill, all the members are saying to themselves, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How can you expect a man of his age and background to understand a college kid on the floor? It takes a long time for the old man to get down the aisle. Now, think of what's going on in the minds of these people. He's going to rebuke that guy. He's going to say, he's going to go up to him and say, how dare you come to church looking like that? All eyes are focused on him. The church is utterly silent. The minister can't even begin preaching until the deacon does what he has to do. When he reaches the front, the congregation watches as he, with great difficulty, lowers himself and sits down next to Bill so he won't be alone. When the minister gains control of himself, he says, 
what I'm about to preach, you will never remember, but what you have just seen, you will never forget. I love that story. I know, you know, it's just really in our day, folks. That's it's got to be our got to get past the externals and realize that we are our goal is to win hearts for Jesus Christ. And if we don't genuinely love people, if we have contempt like this preacher pushing the button, you know, killing all the sodomites, what on earth? Where? What? What human being that's struggling with this sexual sin? is going to look at that and say, I want what that guy has. You know, I want to be in a place like that. Of course he's not going to. Finally, now let's jump down to verse 4, where we find the the criticism or the rebuke. Uh, He gives this thing, he gives the example, verse 2 and 3, of some people coming into your assembly, and you have respect, verse 3, of the one that wears the good clothing, and you say to the other one, get over here, get out of the way, basically, verse 4. Are ye not then partial in yourselves... And become judges of evil thoughts. Judges of evil thoughts. And the idea of, of, again, this is where the English has changed. Keep this in mind. He's not saying we are judging evil thoughts of others. Because, of course, we're supposed to, you know, evil thoughts are evil thoughts. But, folks, so the idea of with is really, or excuse me, the idea of of is we, it's talking about our thoughts. Our thoughts are evil. When you and I have favoritism and partiality and snobbery, we look down our noses at people with contempt. We are the ones with evil thoughts. That's what's being condemned here very clearly. Uh, when you and I show partiality, when we have an attitude of snobbery, uh, folks, then you and I are the ones that are wrong. And we are violating, we're doing just the opposite of what Jesus Christ did. Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis passage, that he humbled himself. Here, here Jesus Christ was sitting at the right hand of, he was God, is God. And he took on the form of a man, he became a man, he humbled himself. Just so that you and I, who don't deserve it, just so he could save our souls. When we demonstrate snobbery or favoritism, it's telling you that we have the wrong focus. When we get so fixated on external things that we can't get past it, then we're going to fail to win people to Jesus Christ. It reminds me of when Jesus was ministering to people, uh, the crowd, and in um, Mark chapter 10 and verse 13, the people brought children unto Jesus and he was starting to receive them and bless them and his disciples were very upset with that. They were much displeased. His disciples rebuked the people. Jesus doesn't have time to deal with little kids. It was like their attitude. And Jesus was much displeased with the disciples and he rebuked them and he, he encouraged the kids to come Then uh, It says, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased he said unto them, Suffer or allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them, not, forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. So while the disciples are thinking, you know, Jesus is, he's the Messiah. He is a man, of, he is a man that is bringing forth, forth eternal truths. And these kids, they just can't wrap their mind around it, you know. And so we, don't want, we don't want them wasting Jesus' time. That was not his attitude. So could it be that you and I 
are looking down our noses at people that we should be loving to the cross. One preacher said it this way. Oh, I, I just let me give the quote, and then I'll give you this uh, other statement. I came across this Vance Havner quote, and it's it's kind of good in that it you know how what we do is we tend to we strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You've heard of that. Jesus is talking about how the Jews would make a big deal about the real fine fine things. Like a gnat technically was an unclean animal. It also was a camel. And it wasn't... So they would like strain the gnats out of their soup. Is that, here's, it's a picture. And yet they'd swallow a whole camel. In other words, they had inverted priorities. They were, they were picking at things that were not as important. And, and Vance Havner said this. Different a- issue, but he said... I know that some are always studying the meaning of the fourth toe on the right foot of some beast in prophecy. I love that, just that idea. I know that some are always studying the meaning of the fourth toe on the right foot of some beast in prophecy and have never used their either foot to go and bring men to Christ. Wow, that good. So here's what this other preacher said. He said, we often delight in sifting gnats, making issues out of things that aren't important. If someone becomes a Christian, some in the church seem intent on shaping him to conform to their own image rather than the image of Christ. They feel that he should dress, look, believe, speak, eat, and breathe just as they do. When someone comes to the Lord, he may not look as we think he should. His hair may be long, his clothes may be radical, he may have an earring in his ear, but if these things are wrong, God will speak to his heart. In the meantime, he may may be ministering to him about the need to return stolen goods, or about seeking forgiveness from those uh, he has wronged in the past. These are the things that matters to God. And that's clearly based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. That idea of straining in a gnat, swallowing a camel. Folks, we've had people, and as i pastored since 1988, uh, I have the pa- churches I've pastored too, uh, I have seen people driven off because of the scuttlebutt. In other words, they got, you know, they came to church looking like someone did not think they should look. And then that, that person made an you know, idle statement. Oh, what's that person dressed like that? And it got back to that person. You want to decrease your church membership in a major way, you do that. You, know, you start focusing on things that just show that you have contempt for this person. When you and I ought to be showing that we have love for people. Forget about what they look like. Forget about how they dress right now. We are trying to reach hearts for Jesus Christ. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this lesson from James. And Father, help us to be humble enough to see our own pride and arrogance. We may not think that we come across as a snob, uh, but Father, when we show favoritism, probably without even realizing it, or we don't, maybe we're so consumed with ourselves that we don't even notice the, the people around us. Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to love people. Help us to stop focusing on ourselves so that we can see people as Jesus saw them, as sheep having no shepherd. Father, we have a shepherd. We have the great shepherd. We have the privilege of being his sheep. And Lord, I pray 
that it would be our burden, our passion, our desire to want others to have that same blessing, to want others to know about Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to stop focusing on those external things that matter so little when it comes to the issues of the heart. And Lord, help us to win, help us to show that love very clearly. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.